to the Golf Barons podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Welcome, Barons. Today's Tenuous Links podcast is brought to you by Ping. Makers of the finest golf equipment you can find. A family company with family values, Ping has been a great supporter of Golf Barons from the very outset. They're a great brand filled with great people. So why not do a little bit of window shopping online at ping.com to check out the latest range of Ping equipment. Today we've got both the lads in. We have Philbert and Dav. Boys, welcome aboard. Good to be here remotely again, just in case the police are listening. Oh, everyone's Good listening. To chat to you, fellas. Actually, Damo, can you just pass me that cup? <laughs> Don't, Phil. Don't. It's, too, it's too close. It's too soon. All right, boys. We're going to get straight into this today and get through it. We've got a lot of people who are just itching to get their golf fix. Phil, first things first, you need to scratch. Let's get these hates out and about. What have you got for us? Damo, I've got a hate love. And, hate and love. what I'm hate loving is seeing all these photos, and I don't want to bang on about the fact that we're not allowed to play golf because of the th- state that we're living in, and I mean that in a number of different ways. But Permanently I, drunk. The, the hate love of seeing all these photos of exactly how good golf courses are looking in case one day we're allowed to return to them, and I've <laughs> likened it to getting all the way to Wally World to discover that it's closed for maintenance. <laughs> it's sort of, it's just that close. Like it's, none of them have ever looked better, but I feel like- It's no longer a vacation, Phil. It's a quest. It's, <laughs> it's a quest for fun. It's got to be beyond. So it's a very short one and it's a hate love because I'm loving seeing exactly how awesome ground staff are because they are awesome and they get no credit. Members walk past them, never say thank you, never do anything for them, and they do an awesome job, but they're doing too good a job and they're taunting me with it. Is there anyone in particular, Phil, that's jumped out at you? I've got to be honest, every image of any golf course anywhere from Spring Valley to the National, they're all just taunting me. I saw an image today from Cathedral Lodge reminding oh, nice. me that I've never played there. It was the 16th hole, oh, but with a really dark clouds tell you in the all background. About it. It's funny. It, and the only reason I ask you that question, Phil, is because not all courses are actually looking brilliant. And the reason I said it is because I was actually reading this thing about a, a golf club in Scotland. It's called Glen Glen Burvey, I think it was, or Glen Burvey. I don't know how they pronounce it, but say Glen Burvey Golf Club. And they've had a bit of trouble with its course getting a little bit chopped up in this period. They opened it up for the public to sort of use as a bit of parkland and, and that sort of thing. And it's fair to say that people were caught having, how shall we call it, uh, a bit of nookie, Phil, in the bunkers. Some Dennis Rodman. Uh, messing up the course a little bit. <laughs> It was. Uh, I read about this and thought, oh dear, there's got to be some lines about a, a couple of extra strokes, penalty strokes, or something in there. But we, um, it's pretty funny though. Like the chairman of the club notified the members, like in a very stern kind of way, um, about these about vandals on their course and keeping keeping an eye out for them. So anyway, I just thought oh, when you told me that, <laughs> when you said that, I thought, oh god, not all courses are looking quite as good as others. I'll give you the tip right now. There is a, a very oh, very easy. nice golf course. <laughs> But there's a very nice golf course in Melbourne that I grew up playing, and there is a, a member there who may or may not have been in a bunker himself over the time, but I won't name who that is, George. Anyway, that's all I've got. <laughs> so are you, are you suggesting, Phil, that the worst thing that can happen to a golf course is golfers actually using them? Is that, is that oh, what you're saying? No golfers equals golf courses much better condition. 100%. In fact, as evidence to that, you need to look at <laughs> Alliston, which may or may not come up a little bit later on, 
or any of these golf courses that are that are privately owned without with unlimited budgets, but just designed to look mint all, all year round. Golfers mm. are the worst thing that can happen to golf courses. There you go. Dev, have you got anything that's, that's upsetting you this week? Well, I, I had a – I have, to answer your question, and – I had a socially a well distanced conversation with a <laughs> with someone who was who was working on a shop floor, and I, I asked them what they wanted to do for business because they told me they wanted to get out of this job and start a business, and their business idea was to be a business coach. And a business my coach. Thought, my business. Was, yeah. So tell me about the businesses that you've run. Uh, successfully, obviously, you, you're working on a shop floor just to just to give back because of all of the the millions that you've earned over the years. So, I can, or- so, I can so- already see the I can already see the business card saying business expert. It's like <laughs> it's like these people that are property experts. Oh, yeah, how many houses have you owned? Uh, no, I'm still renting at mum and dad's. <laughs> <laughs> but I've rented a lot. <laughs> I've, I've seen them dad? all. Oh, actually, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it got me thinking about life coaches. And in in a sporting performance kind of context, you know, your mental coach, your strategy coach. Oh dear, whack, and, Phil. And <laughs> oh, I need to compose myself. You go. <laughs> I mean, look, look to, to I actually have two psych degrees, and I, I I'm the first one to admit that I don't know anything about the subject of psychology. I have two psych degrees and a large hex debt. And I wouldn't have the courage to say that I could help anyone on the golf course, for example, or in in any kind of performance capacity. And it just irks me that people can, as you said, Shooter, put something on a business card and say, let me help you with your golf game, you know? Yeah. It's a whole fake it till you make it kind of concept. I'm not a fan. But Ty Webb was actually really, really good at this in that he said, be the ball, Danny. And really- for my whole life in golf, be the ball, Danny, has been the one thing that I've always come back to. You're not being the ball. Well, it's kind of difficult with you talking like that. You have to be the ball. So does that mean I'm now a – am I a mental coach? <laughs> Giddy up. Now, I don't want to poo-poo the profession. Yeah, no. I think I think there's there's plenty there's plenty of merit for sports psychologists. Like I, I think that, you know, I think it is a real profession and they can – help athletes achieve peak performance to some degree. My beef is with the people that uh, just just uh, call themselves those things. So like you said, the fake it till you make it. I know that I know that you shooter are a little skeptical of of anything <laughs> mental, pseudoscientific. Mental yeah, a strategies bit. For, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not against don't get me wrong, I'm not against don't get me wrong, I'm not against mental coaches or mindfulness or any of that stuff. I had a really good conversation with Dr. Joe Parent, author of Zen Golf, only a couple of weeks ago, which um which you would have read about Dav in uh, Baron's Life, the latest issue. Dev. So I'm I'm Absolutely. I'm an advocate for a, a lot of it, but I'm with you. There is there is a lot of snake oil salesmen amongst that kind of fraternity. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. I'm and I think that's say. the issue. Therein lies the, the entire issue, which I know is what your whole point is that is that the elite of them, and there are some really great ones that make it that make a significant impact on people's lives, livelihoods, definitely, yeah. sporting ga- game, and everything else. But it is just seems too easy to just give yourself a stamp. Yep, no, I agree. It's, Good it's, hate, it's Dave. not that easy if you if you're actually trying to practice as a psychologist. Then you need to be a, a registered some psychologist. Account- there's the some accountability as well. Psychological society. <laughs> Anything short of that, dubious at best. 
<laughs> and on that, I'm going to move into my hate, Dav. But I quite liked, I quite liked it, mate. Well done, goodbye, you. My hate this week, and um, I'll apologise now if I do end up going off on a little bit of a rant here. But my hate is the sanitising of the game, which is actually becoming a little quite literal day by day. I know, I know, I'm a cynical. I can be. No, I'm not. I'm more sceptical than cynical. Phil's usually cynical, but this will probably come across as a little bit cynical. I reckon there's a legitimate chance that the very things that make golf appealing for most of us, the things that make it really unique, I think they're in real danger of being lost. That community spirit, the camaraderie of a golf group, the social spirit of the game, it's seriously in danger of being lost. And this comes on the back of a report that was leaked in the UK, which apparently revealed how the RNA is planning on reopening the game over there, Phil. Did you? I don't know if you saw this at all, Phil, no, but it's- no. It's absolutely heartbreaking to me if this is the way golf ends up going forward. They have, they, they have they've sort of implemented like a five rules, five categories of new rules. Because there's there's one thing I think golf's been lacking: it's rules. And so we should really introduce m- more of them and five layers of them. And the, these are it's course setup before the round, during the round, after the round, and rules of golf related matters. Which you just scream that that's been written by some some sort of bureaucrat, but. In essence, some of the things that are involved with this, uh, rakes and ball retrievers are, are all gone now, which is, which I guess, I, you know, it's understandable. But Phil, your quest for, for more ball cleaners on the course, those little roundy round things that clean your balls, well, that's dead. That's gone, mate. I'm sorry to break it to you. Well, that that's what will you not thought happen. I wanted. Flag. <laughs> the little, <laughs> no, the up and down ones. Sorry. The other ones. But, um, flag sticks can't be touched again. Understand why in the current climate. But this is the part that really sort of gets me. Clubhouses are going to be closed. Players are, are told that they're going to have to remain in their cars until just before their tea time and then hurry to their tea, adhering to social distancing practices along the way. Uh, stray balls on the course can't be touched. You have to be able to identify your ball at all times, which is just bloody ridiculous. You can't just look at a ball and know it's yours unless everyone's got their own colour. And then at the end of the round, <laughs> they're instructing people, don't shake hands, and players are to leave the course immediately. Now, this is – I mean, we're going to arrive – Arrive and leave the course under the the cover of, I don't know, anonymity. We're going to rush through our rounds without engaging with our group. I mean, do you think anyone will feel relaxed playing around under this new Gestapo-style regime, Phil? Well, I will, as proven by the eight-second shot clock challenge demo that <laughs> we had in season two of Golf Barons, that you rise to the occasion when you have less to talk about and when everything's a little bit rushed and you're just off the course. But the purity of the game was all about camaraderie and was all about those things. It was never about hitting the golf ball and it may well be forced, heaven forbid, for people to start cycling where you can actually cruise along the road and just have a chat or do whatever you want whilst chasing, being part of the peloton. But the reality is is that golf is all about the conversation and therefore it's whatever we're going to make of it or whatever they're going to make of it. Mm -hmm. And this will all settle down eventually and we're in a different position in Australia than they are obviously over in Europe and over in the UK, thankfully. Yeah, but you say that. I mean, that is over in the UK and and I get that. But I would not be surprised if if something similar gets unveiled here, Phil. I mean, one thing I've learned, to be fair, something that I've – that's sort of been more validated in my mind during this whole COVID-19 pandemic is that if you give people power – they will abuse that power. Like ostensibly, these you know they they claim the righteousness and morality of their actions, like like every dictatorial regime that's ever been anywhere in the history ever. It's easy to claim that we're doing it for your good, but I'm just worried that the more f- the more freedoms we take away from us in this in this game, it's going to be so hard to get them back. Remember, Phil, the road to hell was paved in good intentions. I will remember that, Damien. 
Excellent. <laughs> Write that down. Anyway, that's quite a long hate, but I got it off my chest and oh, I can I can breathe. <sighs> so Phil, you loving anything? <laughs> <laughs> You've gone. Yeah, that's just too highbrow for me, Dave. I, I like to think more positive than that, and I like to think. Initially, I would imagine that Victorians, even though they can play golf in New South Wales and Queensland, and every other state other than Victoria, that will be allowed to play with two as a two ball, then a three ball. I don't think the nine ball will ever come back, or the seven ball from Cape Wickham. But you know, three is not too bad, is it, El? I don't know, mate. The rules that are in there, they're talking anyway. I. I'll give you the full rundown at another point, but I read it and I felt, oh god, we're not going to get back to it to a proper game of golf for a long time. Oh, but I mean, isn't it isn't it getting us on the course earlier? Can, no, can no, you- no, that's but that's sort of the point that I was kicking off with that while we're getting out there and playing, we're, we're not playing golf in the way that no. that it gives us the very the reason we want to get out there is for them that that mental release for the all those the relaxation the banter the fun and all the rest of it. now of course you can still have a bit of banter and, but you're going to be looking over your shoulder at oh what rule am i breaking now i just maybe i'm being too cynical i'm sure people will tell me that i am but i don't know i'm very <laughs> nervous very nervous anyway sorry phil you were about to launch into your love and i brought you back down with my goddamn negativity and my love is so good too this is one of my great It's loves. not love in a bunker, is it? This yeah. really is one of my great loves. And it's playing golf in any form, Domo and Dev, with kids. Just the joy on their faces, the no rules, no etiquette other than safety, which is, as I said, you know, perfect for Kipper. But the idea of, of just letting them experience the golf and not necessarily the camaraderie and all the things you were just talking about then, Domo, in, in its purest form, the mm-hmm. playing of the game and the hitting. And a little bit of rural golf took place at a holiday house that I've got, which I'm we allowed by golf. law to travel to in case anyone's And if you're not, stuff them. Or listen to this after the rules are relaxed and then everything will be okay. Yes. And this is recorded in 2022. But here was an Possibly. interesting comment. So at one stage I did have uh, – I had my two lads with me and, and one of them, as we were playing Royal Talangi, one of them was catting for – the younger one was catting for the elder one. And the elder one at one stage said to me, you know, I think I like golf. I think I'd like to get lessons. And within mm-hmm. two minutes – he said, if this is how angry I get playing rural golf, then maybe golf's not for me. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't sound like one of yours, one. Phil. <laughs> but then he'll hit another good one, Dave, and then I'm back. Oh, and I love golf. And yeah. it's, he's living my life. It's the, it's the story of golf. <laughs> but it's just that joy, that the joy of, of a well-hit shot. And we talk about it at one for people who've played a long time. And, and Dave, this is why we've, we've loved having you involved, is, is as a newer golfer and newer to the game, it's actually being able to remember and looking the watching the eyes light up when they get hit a wood in yeah. the air for the first time and go, Absolutely. oh, hang on, yeah. oh, hey, this has got something different. And it, it is just magnificent. It, it was just an absolute joy in a time of – in a really interesting time in their lives, this pure positivity and loved it. So I love, I love playing golf with my kids. No snakes uh, sighted, Phil? Uh well, funnily enough, no, there weren't, and we went looking for them because it would appear that we invoked the "if you lose a ball, you're out" rule, and so there was some hard <laughs> hunting. And no, we got very lucky; we made it through another summer without seeing our friends, the tigers or the red belly blacks. But lucky us! Very good, very good, nice love. Well, you're just, bringing us just, up. Just on that, my 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 five year old daughter is expressing a keen interest. She's she's seen me out with the quickster range net. <laughs> oh, there it is. Whack. There yeah, it is. Eight meter net. She's she's seen me. She's seen me uh, on my little practice putter putting uh, strip of astroturf, 
and <laughs> has expressed a keen interest in joining in. The clubs are obviously far too big for it. What options do I have, gentlemen, for a, a set of clubs for a five-year-old? Well, I've gone down this recently, but Phil, I'll let Phil go because he is the product expert and knows this stuff backwards. <laughs> well, it actually, you know, like everything else, is just up to budget. There's some fantastic sets, the, the, everything from PGF Future Stars all the way through to, you know, buying little junior set of pings or, you know, wh- whatever you need. But the reality is is that we all cut our teeth, or certainly I cut my teeth playing golf. I think I started with a five-iron or a seven-iron. And it's just yeah. something to get this idea of what a hit is. And you can get plenty of individual junior clubs that you can just buy and it might be a putter. But I think the idea of whacking, they like the idea of tapping, but they love the idea of whacking. Yeah, and yeah. So she, something they can actually she, she wants to whack. I, I handed her a putter and she looked at me and said, not that one. Yeah. <laughs> not that one. <laughs> yeah. So they all like- Give me the big stuff. That, that's right. So, so there's something like a PGF Future Star or something like that, and you can get them okay. and you can add to them and marry it up and all the rest of it. But I started with just a, a crappy seven iron that was probably three inches too long for me for about a week, and <laughs> that you could just that you could just hit and it didn't matter. And this is the whole point. Just it's about whacking it, and that's why you know the idea of rural golf works so well because it actually doesn't matter. This is not a performance Where it goes or yeah, sport. It's exactly. just to hit it, find it, hit it, find it. And in your eight meter quickster net, it might get caught up in the uh, the extra hessian at the bottom or the extra netting at the bottom, but it should be relatively straightforward well, yeah, to find. I, 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 I need every centimeter of those eight meters. Fit. You have, you have, you've seen my slice. I, I have, yes, but I've also seen your short game, Dave, and it's better than mine. So, which isn't that difficult. It's something that I love, Dave. What, what's your love this week? I know you had something interesting. Well, well look, it's we are four episodes in on a documentary about a sport I won't mention because I'm not allowed on the <laughs> on the golf podcast. Look, there's the it's the ten part, the last dance documentary about the Chicago Bulls. I love a good sports documentary. I, I just yeah, I just love a good sports documentary, and uh, it got me thinking. What are the classic golf stories that, one, need to be told in documentary form or, or a different question, what are the moments in golf's history from a competitive standpoint where you where you wish they had cameras rolling behind the scenes through the process where they could put something mm. together like this particular documentary? There's one, there's one that I would – I'm not sure it hasn't been done, to be honest, and I'm sure it has in some form you know, with an ESPN or something along those lines. But I would love a feature-length film-style documentary on the 2008 uh, US Open. Tiger Woods, Rocco Mediate. One, you've got two seriously interesting characters to talk to there. Rocco Mediate's just – he's a legend. But Tiger, playing with a broken leg, uh, beats the guy. They, they played an extra 18 holes, at the final putt on after 72 holes to get into the playoff for 18 holes. It, it's got everything to it. It was just such – I remember watching it live. I remember watching it several times since. And the hairs on your back still stand up. And I would love to hear what was going through all of their minds. I would love to know what the conversations with the doctors were with, with, with Tiger behind the scenes. I, even just thinking about it, I, yeah, I would pay – I'd pay big bucks to say that. I think what the other one. Feel? So one of the great things that have been produced in my mind is the the Open Chronicles, where they sit down with uh, one of the Open Championship winners and just go through their whole mm. life and the journey of victory and everything else. And whether it's Jack or Greg Norman or or Nick Feldo, they are enthralling 
they're really enthralling watching. But but for mine, one, it actually doesn't relate to the playing of the game. And funnily enough, it's going to come up in my fabulous feuds later on, which I can tell <laughs> by everyone's reaction that they can't wait for. Does it involve rural golf? But it, it, it shouldn't. Well, although there was a feud, it, it is actually the story of Ping. And not just because they're a sponsor. As I'm reading, and when the putter went Ping, the the book about Ping and about Carsten Solheim and the Carsten Manufacturing Corporation, it is an unbelievable tale of David and yeah. Goliath and of all these other things. Like it is a, is it a generally incredible story? And I'm going to really do a crap job when it comes my time in Fabulous Feuds of explaining some of the elements within it. But because it <laughs> I have has no all doubt. these twists and turns and it's got someone who is so desperate to do the right thing by golfers against organisations who are so desperate to do the right thing as they perceive it by the game and this ongoing battle of technology and where it – because it's as relevant today as it was in 1967 when the first dispute happened. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that as documentary is captivating because even reading it is captivating. So in the meantime, Phil, are you suggesting I better get my hands on a book and have a read? Well, there's an opportunity to win one later on, Damo. You might have to uh, submit. Oh, hello. Oh, this isn't on my run sheet. This is good. Nice, Phil. <laughs> good by you. Yeah, good, Dav. But it's a nice idea, Dav. I like that. Mm. Yeah, nice look, it's love. just been really interesting to like to, to to have lived as a fan at the time to see even just the, the politics of what was going on, and it's just yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty already four episodes in. Look, I think ten is probably a stretch. I, I think I'm going to get to seven or eight and maybe think okay let's let's wrap this up but uh <laughs> that's my feeling but um so far so good so far so good outstanding for me this week lads my love is actually a bit of the state state versus state banter and on this occasion i'm talking about uh new south wales versus victoria the, the sledging that goes on from residents in either one of those states and this one was actually directed at me recently i've received a, a quality bit of trolling from a golf industry colleague I won't. I won't name him, Phil, in in the way that you've uh, you suggest I should. But you know, let's just call him Bradman for the sake of the story. Oh, yes, Donald. Um, <laughs> and, and it was about, and he was giving, he was sledging me about the state of Victoria entirely shutting down golf while he was about to head out for a game himself. So I get the so I get the email. Starts off with trust all is okay in your bleep non golfing state. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a strong start to any email, to be perfectly frank. And then he ended off with, anyway, got to go. I'm just about to tee off. So just one final kick in the guts on exit. And other than the inordinate, redundant number of exclamation marks that follow that final statement, I, <laughs> I must say that no that no adult should uh, who's, who's learnt English should do uh, or use. I must admit, I, I did love the sledge. Uh, so hats off, hats off, Bradman. Bradman, because let's be honest, if it was uh, if the roles were reversed, Phil, and if you didn't beat me to it, I certainly would have would have sent him something similarly. Um, and he has a point. I mean, think about it: a state that doesn't allow golf is a bleep state. How can you argue with that? I had a similar experience, Damo, funnily enough, from the same state with the uh, th- that good old knight in sheening armour with a uh, can't wait to get out for a round on Saturday morning. Yeah. Oh, it hurts. Well, yeah. bite tongue, bite tongue, bite tongue, move on, delete. Yeah, but what's most annoying is the Victorian golf courses are just so much better than New South Wales courses on the whole, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> so, so it's almost like a double whammy for us. Anyway, Bradman, that one's to you. I know you're listening. I can see you, but uh, this is not over, old boy. There is something going your way at some point. <laughs> it is only just begun. Game changers, Philip. Uh, game changers. Now, this is has only occurred to me in the last 24 hours because I was going to go with something very, very different for game changers for this week. But mm-hmm. it struck me 
as we're in lockdown and needing to home educate our children, that my youngest one was needing to do a little bit of maths work. And mm-hmm. this will get round to golf, but he was needing to do a little bit of maths work. And it was about a soccer competition, you know, amongst nine teams that all played each other once. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can't quite do that. So I was a bit confused early. And then they had a combined, combined total of 43 goals. And I had to discover the average of the number of goals. And I thought, well, this is the method you would do it, and this is the answer. I just don't know that in the grade you're in thereafter, this sort of level of detail. And then when the answer came out, to be told that, yeah, well, you know, it's it, there were nine teams and there were 43 goals in total. So the average number of goals per team is four. Well, actually, between four and five, I thought, what a great idea for golf. <laughs> average what a great between- idea for golf. <laughs> That is, it's also uh, between two and six. <laughs> this is called my personal scoring method. Now, this follows on the back of Personford or whatever. Stableson, wasn't it? Stableson, Personford, Stableson. It's called personal scoring. At the end oh, of a hole, God. if you've had five, but you thought really it was a four-worthy hole, then like our Uber golf ratings, you give yourself a 4.6. <laughs> I see where you're going. So yeah, it's no. not a bogey, but I wasn't quite good <laughs> enough to be a par. And it's similar to a, a very dear friend and, and mentor of mine many years ago used to play at Midlands Golf Course up in Ballarat. <laughs> and we used to have a running bet, and every Monday morning I had to go in and I'd walk into his office and tell him what score I had, he what, got what score he had, we exchanged money, I gave him the money. Obviously, well, not exchanged money, yes, every week I gave him the money. And we moved on. But then I got into a habit of trying to explain what happened. And I, he gave me about two, maybe three rounds where eventually he said, Phil, how big are the scorecards at Latrobe? And I said, <laughs> what, what? And I got about half a word in. And he said, because at Midlands, we just write down our score. But obviously at Latrobe, you get to put in a description. And really what he was leading to was this personal <laughs> scoring method whereby you write down five. But if you can explain why that was almost a four, then give yourself a 4.3. <laughs> it could change uh, the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Phil. Oh, you need to get out. This isolation is killing you. I need to get the kids <laughs> back to school. Well, maybe not just- Wouldn't by any chance be a state school, would it, Phil? Ooh, I better- I better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll move on. Personal scoring method. So, so you're suggesting that we should do this, Phil. I'm not sure that's a real game changer, but you know what? We'll let you off. Davman- have you got um, you got something this week written down well, here? VR? No, is that <laughs> not quite? Not quite VR. Well, my, my first game changer was it, it continues on my tradition of inventing things for the game that have already been invented. So <laughs> we'll leave we'll leave that first app, uh, which I thought was a stroke of genius. The Caddy Killer, the Caddy Killer, and the 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 end of cheating, the end of cheating, the end of days. We'll leave that one aside. I, I think. We need to bring augmented reality, right? not virtual reality, but augmented reality into the game of golf. Can you explain to me the difference here, Dav? So, virtual reality is a complete digital reconstructing of your reality. So, you put a headset on and you can move in the space as you would in a normal space, but what you're seeing is a complete fabrication. Augmented reality mm-hmm is where you can see your natural environment, but things are being added into ah, it. So, okay. you know, so it's like hallucinating. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> exactly. So, there's a, there's a couple of ways that it can be done. You can you can wear a pair of glasses that you can see through and then things are added in the, in the glasses so you're seeing your real world, but characters and objects are coming in. 
Or, you know, I'm sure people have heard of the, the Pokemon Go craze where people were walking around with a a map and looking for objects. So the map was a real-world map like Google Maps, but things were placed in in the map but also in, in – so <laughs> you had to go to the location and then the app would identify that you were in that place and you could – Yeah, you lost it to Pokemon. Points. But how's this going to apply with golf? Is there a way <laughs> – that you think that we can play golf when we don't have to be on a course. Is that sort of where we're heading? No, no, you're still on the course, but it enhances the game of golf. So there are oh. digital obstacles thrown in, ways to get bonus points, you know, oh. if, you, if you hit. So it's it's integrating new features into an actual game of golf. My personal scoring method. <laughs> yeah, this is a bit cooler than yours, <laughs> Phil. This all ties in is because I had five. But I managed to hit that drawer through that hanging orange tree and almost hit the monkey. That's right. Picked up. Four you hit the six. monkey and you picked up. You picked up point seven of a of a, of a stroke. Well done. Have you boys been experimenting with magic mushrooms or something? that <laughs> 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 the, the game's the game's fine, lads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave, I'm all sorry. Look, reality I'm gonna, is infiltrating. I'm- all kinds of uh, all kinds of sports and industries. It's 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 here to stay. Look, I tell you right now, uh, esports, for an example, is the only sport that can be played at, at this point in time. So, okay, it's not so, a sport. One, it's not a sport. Secondly, uh, on the golf course, <laughs> and I'm not sure whether you've been out there for a while, Dave, or mainly played um, links courses, but we've got these augmented reality. We like to call it reality, where there are things like trees and bunkers, rough. There's these sandy things, yeah. And even the wet stuff, there's some wet stuff there too, Phil. There's some What's wet stuff. Uh, water, water hazards. Um, playing partners. You know, where there's quite a bit of reality, reality. But I like, I like your brain. We can add, we can add, we, we can augment that reality, reality and add some cool new little features. Okay, Dave, you're going to have to name right now your best feature that you're adding to improve my round of golf via augmented reality. You have 10 <laughs> seconds. Your time starts now. So I'm on the tee, an object, a character runs into the fairway, and if I hit it with the ball, I, I get five strokes deducted from my game. Bang. What, what kind of a character? <laughs> a, da- a dinosaur. A brontosaurus. <laughs> That's quite specific. <laughs> Very good. A brontosaurus. Aren't they called a, an apatosaurus these days? Anyway, they could ooh. be. They could be. Ooh. Well, look, um, we're sitting here, we're having, we're having a crack at Dave about his, but I've just glanced over and, and had a look at what I've written down for mine this week, and quite frankly, um, this is probably okay. <laughs> um, every now and again, Phil, one of the game's greats says something that you've been parroting on into the, into the abyss for years, and this way, or recently- Nick Faldo, Sir Nick oh, no, Faldo, no, don't do it. made a suggestion that I've been banging on about and you just keep knocking me for. No tees. No tees, Phil. Ditch tees. Get rid of tees. No need for the tees. Why, I mean, why do people use them? This is a real game changer. Seriously. I mean, with a driver, driver off the deck, one of the greatest feelings in all of golf, and it's the only way I can hit a drive <laughs> that I don't lose the ball as a general rule. You know, you, you have to change your swing a little bit when you put a, put a tee there. Par threes, Phil. You're 150 out. Dad, 150 out, par three. Why tee it up? If you're 150 out in the middle of a fairway, get your seven iron out. Happy days. Why do you need make, a tee? What are the point of tees? What are the point of tees? Well, yeah, I Go. mean, you're talking to the wrong person. I'm going to get five on that par three, whether it's a tee or not. So, 
<laughs> All right. Well, so what he's trying to do? What, what's the Nick? What, what's the Nick is trying to do? No, no, no. Don't go into his driver stuff yet. We'll talk about that no, later. No. <laughs> but he's what he's trying to do is to create up with come up with a creative solution to uh, control the technology distance. short of controlling technology. Yeah. What he is in effect doing is trying to make the game harder for me and easier for you. So, in short, Sir Nick or not Sir Nick, you can please to carry your idea away. So Phil's not a fan of that. I don't think any of us have had a had great game-changing week. Let's move into the gear effect, Phil. I'm going to actually just keep going on on that tack. Uh, bifurcation. Gear effect uh, bifurcation, which is just basically the f- it's a fancy word uh, or a fancy way of saying different rules for the pros and the amateurs. So, in effect, what Nick Faldo was talking about was limiting, making it harder in, in theory, making it harder for the pros or to, to, to try and find a way to limit the distance or bring in the really bad shot again just to make the game a little bit harder for them. But we've seen, in terms of the bifurcation, I mean, this goes back to Phil um, a few years ago. We we're talking about, you know, with the broomstick putters and and all that sort of stuff. Having the different rules, I'm a big fan of it. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, yep. For the pros who, who they do this for a living, they are the elite. They're meant to be tested to the absolute nth degree of the um, of the sport. Definitely have some different rules for them, sure. But for the rest of us who are just out there trying to enjoy ourselves, a bit of relaxation, all those things we've talked about. The difficulty of the game is not necessarily the reason we're out there. This all actually gets to the core demo of my fabulous feuds, which is when you've got governing bodies who are trying to protect the game and stop it, stop the erosion of skill versus the people who play it are trying to increase the level of engagement and they just want to make it as easy as possible. And so if we think back, going back to the 1920s or early 1930s when when 14 club rule came in place, it was to try and yeah, introduce- You were about six or seven then, yep. yep. It was trying to introduce skill back into the game. Well, yeah, no, I heard it. I just didn't appreciate it. But was trying to introduce- <laughs> Was trying to introduce the skill back into the game so that we yep. couldn't have 78 irons in the bag, you know, one for every shot going around. And, and so ultimately this idea of having a governing body that says, I'm going to take the brakes off and apply the brakes is something that they've never been commissioned to do or, or govern. So the USGA and the RNA the whole time have had to protect the integrity of the game and it would be a massive shift for them to say, no, we will create two sets of rules. And in reality, I don't have a problem – as we've spoken about before, let the Olympics be the test. No, maybe this is not a good time to bring up the drugs in the Olympics, but I think there's a point where when you we want to watch and experience elite players playing at an elite level, but I want to know they're still playing with our game, and I'd like to know that they're playing with our equipment and also playing on our golf but course. But why, why do you need to have the same driver as Tiger Woods? And, and you don't. That's the stupidity of it. You actually don't. But why would, I, why would I want to, from a game point of view, why would I want him using different equipment to me and making – because golf is the one game, as we've spoken about, where I can go out and I literally can use the same gear that Tiger uses. Why would I want to actually take away that joy? I can't play on the same basketball court. Dave, you brought this up. But I'm, I'm not previously. saying – no, no, but I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to or, or that you can't, you can't use the exact equipment they're using. I'm saying we need to, at their, at their level – just bring it back a little bit, or or have a couple of different things like the wedge rule. The wedge rule, for example, that they brought in. Well, well how many years ago are we now? Sort of eight, eight years. Is that roughly? Well, anyway, I can't remember exactly. Was it twenty eleven? The latest one. Uh, the square was it the V grooves? Square grooves. Sorry. So twenty ten, it was in- introduced. It was about 2011, 2010, Yeah. So that bringing that in, that had a serious effect on a lot of older players who 
who can't get generate that spin on a ball around in and around greens. So that's actually made the game less enjoyable for them. Whereas with the pros, I get why they want to do it. They want to try and make it a bit tricky for them. Fine. So why is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal? Why do you need to have the same shaped groove in your wedge that Tiger did just so you can say, oh, look, I've got the same thing as Tiger. I can't hit the thing, but it's the same as Tiger. Uh, I use MP20 Pretty blades. Pretty good impression of your voice too, by the way. I use MP20 blades. I probably don't hit them as well as I would hit others, but I love the look of them. Golf is not a rational game. It's an emotional game. But I'm not saying you can't have them. I'm saying why can't you have something else that helps your game? No, no, that, but Damo, that's actually at the core of all our discussions we've had is that, as I've said to you a number of times, if I could prove to you, here's an iron that you don't like the look of that will outperform what you use, what are you going to use? And you've said, I'm going to use what I like. But you can still have the choice. So you're missing the whole point. I'm not saying that the amateurs can't have the choice. They should be able to have the choice, but they should also be allowed to have things that help them more than at a pro level, things that will help the pros to a point where it becomes too easy for them. Have you spoken to many pros who said the game's too easy? Yes. That Can may you give be us some examples? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got to tell you, when they're no, shooting- No, but when I mean, shooting- it's, it is all relative, Phil, but the conversation- But you'll still see pros saying, yeah, the game- No, it's not an easy game, but they're still bombing it 60 metres, 70 metres further than most of us, 120 further than you. I don't think you're listening to my point very well. Dav, can you jump in at some point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about, I think of of the game of tennis and there are rackets that are clearly made for for beginners or for amateurs or people that don't want to spend $500 on a tennis racket. They're still plastered with pictures of Roger Federer and Rafa, Rafa Nadal. And so they may not be the, the rackets that they're using, but they're still using them to sell. But are the pros, do product. the pros have a limit? Are there limits in tennis? I'm not, I'm not. Across tennis, so I'm, I'll plead ignorance here. But within tennis, do they have limits to? I mean, there obviously there are size limits and things within it that a, a racket can be. Yeah. With the pros, is it exactly the same as it is for amateurs? I suppose it would be. Yeah, yeah. There, there are there are limitations on on what your racket can can do. Yeah, from yeah, from a size standpoint, to, uh, I'm sh- I'm sure there are, there are string restrictions as well. Intentions, but the rules are the same. The, the point be- is, the rules are the same. But the yeah. rules are the same. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. And so one of the interesting but, but things you got to admit, talk- but Phil, sorry, I was going to say, Phil, tennis is far more one dimensional than than golf when it comes to that, though. Surely, yeah. You have one. Uh, you have one a racket. One thing. Potentially, I think one of the challenges that golf has got, and I'll use the example of Tiger. So Tiger uses the Bridgestone ball, the XS, I think it is, and he uses that because it spins more than other balls. And Tiger grew up having a ball that spun at an age where balls spun more. And his competitive advantage was being able to manipulate spin better than any player in the world. To take spin off, yeah. yeah. Right. So if all of a sudden you remove and you want bifurcation and you say to everyone, you've now got to, let's say in the V8 supercars, you've now got to control tyre. Here's a control ball then autom- automatically you've actually taken away someone's sustainable competitive advantage, which is which is anti-competitive at its core and actually goes against creating athletes who are awesome at anything they do. No, what I'm saying is that if you're making your no, you're actually arguing against yourself. If you've got a if you've got a driver that by the way in which it's been constructed nowadays can help the the forgiveness on it helps it actually brings everyone back to the same level. In that you cannot be that good a driver, and this was this was Faldo's argument back in the day. You had you could see who were the better drivers. Nowadays you can't see who are the better drivers because because everyone, even when they miss hit, the technology is that good that it brings them all quite close to each other. 
Uh, well, and this, think, is, this yeah. is what's happened in this, this is what's happened in the game of tennis as well. Is the technology of rackets have gotten to the point where you, you, there's no point serve volleying anymore because you're just going to get passed because the technology in the rackets have made it almost, I mean, not impossible, but a lot easier for a pro player to hit a passing shot down the line than they used to in the in the eighties and nineties. And it's and it's it's homogenized the game to the point where everyone is exactly the same. So, Damo, are you therefore trying to make some place, create a greater separation between the elite PGA Tour players and the crap ones? Because that's what Dave was just saying, <laughs> is that it's actually homogenised tennis whereby the top 50 can all win at any point in time. Are you actually trying to create a Yeah, but I think that's going to, that's going to naturally happen. If you, if you take out – if you give the, uh, the elite players enough – if you give them a – you limit, I guess, to a degree, the technology that they can get. So, you've – you know, like with the square grooves – if you can limit it to them, then the better proponents of that skill will shine more often, which I think is a more realistic and more honest, more genuine, authentic approach to finding out who are the better players rather than having it so close that it doesn't matter and it comes down to, you know, who happens to have a better day putting or who slightly doesn't misread as much as the next guy. Well, and I think ironically that the opposite has happened in tennis where three, you know, arguably four guys have won everything and because – because it's become homogenized, I mean, they all physically look almost exactly the same. They're, they're between 6'2 and 6'3. They have a similar reach, a similar body's height. So, because you've taken other variables out of the game, a player that had a unique style that was effective mm. is now being nullified because what he was using as his weapon or his tool now doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore. You don't see any Michael Changs anymore. No Michael Chang's, Jim Courier, Goran Ivanisevic. Yeah, but maybe exactly. they're all. Like that's get- the point is, but maybe they're now all Jim Couriers. So rather than saying we don't see any of them anymore, we're actually maybe we're just seeing all of them because the reality he is- he just refuses look- to admit he's wrong here. We're just no, seeing no, one. We no, certainly no, don't see. I, we don't I see just- Pete Sampras anymore. We don't see. You know, so we don't because- see Tim Henman. So because tennis, because <laughs> tennis hasn't brought in extra rules, the elite four have cleared out from the rest. No, because because they've they've changed physical elements of the game. They've slowed the game down because people wanted more rallies. The string technology made it easier to control shots from the baseline. So anyone that used a serve as a weapon can't use it anymore because everyone is able to get a racket on the ball now, and not only get a racket on the ball, but get a good at chunk full stretch, it, yeah. put put the ball back into the you know into the back corner of the of the court, whereas. You know, that used to be an impossible shot and now can just- Unless you're Agassi, you know, yeah. So, yeah, Damo, would you, rather, would you rather, ahead of the Masters, and let's say, I'll, I'll concede this, so ahead of the Masters, you're going to the Masters mm-hmm. 2022 and bifurcation exists and it's been delivered exactly as you wanted it to happen. And to Dad's mm-hmm. point, you're standing on the first tee knowing that there's only four players that can win. Is the tournament more exciting or less exciting for the viewer? No, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that it means you can. there's only four players that can win. I'm saying that the happen. most- no, I'm saying that the most skilled player on the day or during the tournament and the person who can control all those other elements in golf, because we know golf's not just purely that one element, it's all those other elements come into play, that would make it far more a far more honest event. Otherwise, you just, just may as well just put um, everyone's name in a hat, Phil, pull it out and say, oh, well, whoever who, who wins this? Oh, yeah, cool. Was he the best player? Well, who knows? Do you seriously reckon, so do you seriously reckon that at the moment in the majors- the best player, other than a, a freak shot bouncing off a rock, that the best player for the week is not winning. No, no, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that, Phil. I'm just saying that I think we will get a far 
better determinant of who of the gaps between these players. Now maybe that maybe there isn't. Maybe maybe I am oversimplifying it. But that the gaps between the best, the best best, and the other guys who we know are still very good, but you will see a wider you'll see a wider disparity. And I think that's just if if that's more honest to where they are skill wise and work wise or, or even mentally mental wise, whether they're you know this whole concept of bring back the bad, the really bad damaging shot. Because I now people again, I keep coming back to the driving. So many car are not the world's greatest drivers, yet the difference is oh well, because of the technology, they're only five yards off to the left of these other people. Give them give them a club that you have to find the middle, and the middle's smaller. All of a sudden, they're duck hooking it. They're they're playing playing three off the tee. Did you not see my point at all? I do. I just, and I actually, I, I wonder whether or not having the very best, as is in tennis, like tennis bores me to tears now because there is the top six and then there's the rest. No. I actually have no interest watching it. And if that, the same thing would have happened to golf, I'd be, I'd be horrified. I love the fact that in golf, the number 28 can have a week out, put his head off, do a Ben Curtis and pull a major out from nowhere. That's one of the most exciting, like you've always got a chance. And I think that's what I, I personally love about golf is at any point in time, You've always got a chance, be it on the PJ Tour or be it a scumbag like me playing golf against some better players. You've always got a chance. But Phil, I'm I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm saying is that if for that person to have that day, they have to play out of their skin and play as I actually think it means it would mean they they've played better. They have a to win it, it would mean more because it's actually been harder to win for the for the prize. As we'll discuss later on in Fabulous Feuding, there are a, a significant number of laws and, and they, they continue to adjust them, sometimes arbitrarily, like the, uh, the groove one. And we'll, we'll uh, throw that in because there might be some other discussion points. So I'm not actually anti, I'm not anti it necessarily, but I just don't know what the purpose is. And I'd like to, because it's become a mixed message that sometimes the bifurcation is discussed about the fact that they hit it too far, not about the fact that the crap PJ Tour guys are winning too much money. Or the re- and it's no longer separating skill, mm. so it's actually defining why you want it, and then and then pitching the yeah, argument. But, yeah, but but mainly I wanted it, Phil, because I needed a gear effect for this. Yeah, so so I now that that's out the way, I'm going to throw it to you for yours, <laughs> and, and uh, I want to know what what you think. What can, what what's, uh, what have you got? Okay, this is going to sound like I'm from the deep south. Hey, do you think you play better if you dress better? <laughs> Oi, Nathan. Seriously, if ever two uh, topics yeah, were going to summarise two people's approach to life, the intellectual demo and the, the Gumby Phil. But <laughs> the reason that I ask is that golf fashion <laughs> is, as well, it's highlighted again in Baron's Life demo this month, is the golf fashion is continuing to almost go back to the future and rediscover itself and, and start to become edgy, and, and I love every bit of it. But golf used to just be, and I used to watch the old man getting ready for golf and threw on the purple pants with the green shirt, the yellow shoes, and every now and again, yep. he'd go off and come back and un- accidentally cool, I suppose is how you describe him, but also only in hindsight. But if you actually wake <laughs> up and you're going to play somewhere, and, and it's a difference, like if I'm going to play a public course versus I'm going to play Royal Melbourne, and you rock up yep. and you put on a fantastic shirt, like your favourite shirt, your favourite pair of pants, do you think you get a bit uppity? And potentially a little play a bit better. This is an easy one for me. One hundred percent, you play better. Not that you play one hundred percent better. I'm saying <laughs> yeah, that's you. Right. Def- I'm saying that you do. Well, for- this is just again. It's all this stuff's anecdotal, I guess. But for me, feeling uh, part of dress is that when you dress well, 
you have you have more confidence. And we know what golf golf is such a mental game that confidence plays such a huge part of it. So if you're if you're feeling good about yourself, you're more likely to to get off to a good start or to play well. It doesn't mean that you can't play poorly, but also it's important to, to dress well because if you look back in time at victories, you want to look pretty sharp. I mean, look at some of the outfits David Duvall was getting around in when he won. And, and ouch, you know, maybe he should have taken this approach. <laughs> then again, he did shoot 59 in in with a fairly ordinary uh, get up. So I don't know. I guess I've sort of got a, a foot in each camp there. Well, no, but for me, if you dress if you dress dress nicely or dress feeling good about yourself, uh, you'll play better. Pretty simple. Dev, do you play better when you're wearing a hoodie or a polo? I feel like if I dress to to my level, I'm, I'm a better chance of exceeding it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just like a hobo what or? dressing to your level would be, Dev? <laughs> like a vagrant? <laughs> there, there wouldn't be too many changes to to what I'm wearing from from what I from what I wore to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Although plaid is in. <laughs> Although to be fair, he does he does wear the golf baron's Under Armour polo very well, Phil. That is true. It's a good fit. It's a good cut polo. <laughs> it is good. Oh, Phil, that was a. Uh, what do yeah, you sorry, think, Phil? Like, wh- where do you sit on your the dress sense? And do you, do you think you play better? I've morphed and come a long way. Where it used to just be, I need a polo shirt, I need a pair of pants. Let's get out there. And and I do probably spend. Yeah. And I'm not talking about a lot of time, but you do line up. I'd be lying if the night before I was going to play golf that I didn't pull out a polo and a pair of shorts or a pair of pants and go, yeah, I can get away with that. And more One. and more, I'm consulting with my fashion advisor, which is my wife. As Damo, as I can attest and as you can attest, I've had some challenges in the, in the past with this whole fashion thing. <laughs> but who doesn't, who, say, doesn't, who doesn't the night before a game lay out their gear and make sure it all matches and get it all nice and ready every time? Is it just lament, me? <laughs> and lament the fact no, that my it, pants are still not long enough and maybe I'm I should go shorts in the belt to match the belt to match the shoes, the comfortable socks that go <laughs> that go with the shoes, everything, top to but toe. But it's the ritual. But, and I suppose the point is, is it's actually yeah, the ritual. Definitely. And so what it does is helps you prepare. And this is why I believe it does help because it actually gets your mind already, not not buzzing about the game, but focusing excited about the, the game, game yeah. and gets you focusing yeah. on it and think a little bit about it. And because there is this preparation as opposed to just chucking something on and running to the first tee. And, Dad, I strongly encourage you to take your time next time. <laughs> Well, <laughs> to to get ready to to, to arrive, or <laughs> be careful about your yeah, just on time. Or... It'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I get it. I mean, I I just to add to that, I, I think I do love that element of the game. The that it has its own style and it has a unique dress code. But I do, I would stress if I looked one hundred percent the part, I would stress about. The disparity between my actual game and the way I'm presenting, and, and I feel like that would almost make me play worse. Put yourself, put extra pressure on yourself. Yeah. But do you reckon? Do you reckon you would? Do you think it would make you lose more golf balls, Dav? And do you have any solution to that? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I look. I it, this outstanding segue, outstanding segue. I am perplexed as to why they haven't already invented. The unlosable golf ball, and my <laughs> my my game changing my gear effect is a all it would take is a small chip inside the ball that would connect with a phone app. I'm all about the phone apps, and then mm. and then once you're in the general vicinity, the two pair communicate a little bit of Bluetooth, whatever it is, 
and you are directed straight to where the ball is and away I you think, go. I think I've seen something like this was created or it was at one of the shows or it was, or it was being floated. up. But I, wouldn't the risk be, one, the expense of creating that ball and, two, what are you going to do when you hit it in the water? It's gone. <laughs> well, you know where it is. So, it? so it's There's an expensive no- brand. I love the idea, though. The te- I think the technology is, is becoming considerably cheaper. So mm-hmm. uh, you would have yeah, to weigh it up. But, you know, how many how many balls do you lose versus the cost of one that you, you could probably get through quite a few rounds with? Okay, Dan, yeah. here's what's going to happen. You're going to bring this idea to market. Okay, you're going to go mm-hmm. to the PGA show at Orlando. And you're going to be setting exactly up your. You're going to be setting up your booth. You've just put up the hoarding. You've just put up the brand at the back, and a bunch of solicitors from one of the big golf companies are going to pour in and just mm-hmm. go on behalf of all the golf companies. We're going to offer you this much money. No one is to ever know you've ever existed. <laughs> go away. And I will shake that. I will shake their hand, take their check, and say, "See you later." <laughs> and like that, season three will be funded. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, Dev, let me suggest to you that this idea may have actually. And I'm not saying that it has. All I'm suggesting is that this idea may well and truly have come to light, and may well and truly have patents owned, and may well and truly never see the light of day. <laughs> Could this be a conspiracy theory? There's, there's a good is chance Phil's it? not telling us something here. Is this the washing machine that that doesn't need doesn't need detergent? Is that the or the or the car tire that never that never wears down? Is it, is I tell you one? what it is, Dev. I tell you what it is. It's the two black cars <laughs> that have just pulled up at the front of my house, and so I've got to go for a few minutes. <laughs> A bit racist. <laughs> Phil, <laughs> we're, we're going to move on, boys. <laughs> we're going to kick into uh, – we're going to get straight into Baronesque behaviours. I know you, uh, Phil, you had one that you were gagging to talk about. I uh, just – look, uh, no, I won't call him the pretty boy of Australian golf demo, but, but one, thing, one thing I absolutely loved this week was seeing Adam Scott <laughs> rocked up – Rocked up for a hit at Melanie Golf Club in the Gold Coast hinterland. <laughs> just rocked up for a hit. Jumped in with a group with three members. Just oh, that's because he's in Queensland. You're allowed to go for golf in Queensland. Got you. I'm just getting made around. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He certainly wouldn't have done. You're it allowed to. But oh, I don't cool. know if he booked yeah. or put his pro v in the ball race or what what happened. But it is all of a sudden standing on the first tee with three blokes having a hit of golf with a major champion, with a Masters champion and a awesome. flusher and good surfer and all the rest of it. Shot a lazy 62 with a double on the first. But wow. but how would the thrill, what would you do? Like if you were standing on the first tee and an Adam Scott or anyone, Jeff Ogilvy or anyone just happened to rock up and go, you don't mind if I have a hit with you boys? What are you going to do? That'd be what awesome. What would you do? Yeah. Oh, how cool would that? Be? I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to play in a few, uh, play a few rounds with some pros, obviously over the journey, and they are some of the best learning experiences you'll get, as long as you're not trying to, and just learning about not just um, how to play the game or tips, not tips around the game, tips about the game, and it's just yeah, that would have been such a cool experience for those the other golfers. You'd be thankful that you laid out your outfit the night before, I reckon. No, he see that. That's what brought him over, Phil. Looking sharp, got to look sharp. Speaking of sharp, Dav has a, has one that follows on straight from that. Well, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the story about Adam Scott making a phone well, Phil just call told us. To, oh, to well, he, he 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 does more than one thing in a day, apparently. 
I know where you're going. <laughs> Scotty's, Scotty's proving to be quite a good fella. Well, there was a gentleman who has purportedly seven brain tumors and is not doing well and experiencing some confusion and is is of the belief that he and Adam Scott are regular golfing buddies. They get out and play a lot and he was anticipating a call from, from Adam uh, to talk about when they were next going to play. So his daughter reached out to Adam and told him the story and he was more than happy to pick up the phone and have a chat to to Ross Campbell was the gentleman's name and just shoot the breeze with him about golf and and, and I That's guess cool. play along with yeah to sort of talk to him about his game and where they were going to play next and and the family of this gentleman were, were certainly wrapped with with that and and really appreciative so I thought that was a very classy move by a Mr Scott and uh, made. <laughs> That is that is very cool by Scotty, and you just continually hear these these kinds of stories about a lot of the, uh, the Australian golfers. It's great to hear that they've got a, a pretty strong culture. Good on them. Good on them. Like to hear pretty them Pretty baronesque, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Playing baronesque. it forward, Phil. Playing it forward. Mine this week's pretty short one. It's just it was a little bit of advice that was given to us all actually um, by Dr. Joe Parent in that latest issue of Baron's Life magazine, and that was simply the whole Jack Nicholas visualization technique of. Uh, Going to the movies, just closing your eyes and playing a few holes, a bit of mindfulness. We we can't get out on the course at the moment because we're based down here in Victoria, so it's the closest we can get to. And it is um, it's just something. It really is pretty powerful, actually. You do it, you you relax yourself. It's not quite the same, but it's still it's it's as close as we can get. So that's just something something I've been doing. I'm trying to teach the uh, my little the boys as well to do that as well. So anyway, and Damo, just on that, I actually read that article and. Did that and imagined it down at the National Lamuna course. I actually played 18 holes and tried yep. to remember the best hole that I'd played on each hole or the best time that I'd played each hole. Yeah, nice. And seriously, I'm such a good player. I mean, I still yeah, had so 11 what did you over. Shoot, I still had 11 yeah. over. And, it was, and that was, well, there were some arbitrary scoring methods in there as well. But, but it, it's amazing how real, if you allow yourself to relax enough, you can actually remember and recall sounds and feelings and shots and contact and all these things. It's, it is absolutely incredible. Very, very powerful thing. Yeah. Well, Phil, I've relived our, uh, our run across <laughs> Royal Melbourne Golf Club during the media, <laughs> during the media golf day for the, uh, for the President's Cup with a gin in hand. So I was, uh, I was absolutely... Well, I was absolutely in uh, in heaven going through that. So anyway, that was just one one for me. Crystal well, balls. I, mean, I did that I'm this go- week, and I just I just kept hitting dinosaurs. So, <laughs> <laughs> apatosauruses, crystal balls, boys. I'm gonna. I think we'll have a week off on it. I was wrong about the Victoria government easing its restrictions on opening golf courses down here. I said they'd have a fortnight. I was wrong. I, I yeah, my mind's not right to, <laughs> to predict anything that yeah. wouldn't be incredibly cynical. Uh, or get Phil, you have any predictions, no, or are you clear, Dab? No, no predictions. Should we move on? <laughs> we should. Let's get into golf Golf dreaming. Philip, I know you've got a, a pretty exciting one this week. I've got a dreaming. You know what? I've got a dreaming. We've spent a lot of time traveling around the world with our dreamings, and I remembered or realized that I'd forgotten one that is absolutely on my to-do list and my bucket list and should be on everyone's, other than the fact that you're kind of going to struggle to play there, and it's been likened to being as difficult to get on as Cyprus or Augusta. Alliston Golf Club. Ah, um, Packers, Packers. So course, Kerry yeah. Packer in 1999, Norman had been bugging Packer about building a golf course on his 70,000 acre, just a little um, farm up in the top of the Hunter Valley. 
And he'd been into Packer about building a golf course and then he finally relented. And so he commissioned Norman and Bob Harrison to to build a golf course on his farm with the only rule not just being- a, Not just, yeah, is, is this rule about it being the hardest golf course in the world? Kerry Packett determined that this was to be the toughest and most spectacular in, inland golf course that they could build. Wow. To the point where one of the greens, there's a. It took them several days to actually find the the perfect location on the property for the um, the golf course. But one of the greens was put right next to a creek called Pages Creek, which is a very fast flowing creek through the Hunter Valley. Mm-hmm. Very soon after the course opened, the course flooded and that green got washed away. And Greg Norman came and said, "I reckon we should elevate the green and do all this." And Kerry Packer reportedly said, "No bugger that. We we're going to keep get replacing it. I don't care how many times it washes away." The green is going back in that spot because it needs to be the toughest and most spectacular. So it's just an unbelievable. So I've, I've likened it to Augusta meeting Valderrama. It is this this <laughs> nice. beautiful, this classic flowing golf course that just looks out of this world, number nineteen in the world. But the challenge is really getting on there. And unless you know someone who's got more money than all of us ever combined, even if we were to rob a series of banks, you may well <laughs> struggle. But it, it just Looks unbelievable. So the golf course, you know, you can actually go and look up Alliston and there's a little bit of a, a drone fly over each of the holes and you do get a very good sense as to what's going on. But as we always have to do, we're going to do an eat and a, st- a drink and a stay. And mm-hmm. because it's three and a half hours from Sydney, it actually is irrelevant where we're staying. So let's just choose a good hotel, maybe in Melbourne, and we'll just fly up there to play it. <laughs> but therefore, this is just my chance to promote a few things. Cape Grim, we're going to eat. Some crepe, a Cape Grim Scotch fillet. Beef, yes. I have no beef with beef, Phil. And we're going to wash it down. Well, I did say we're going to start with some Coffin Bay oysters, but yes. we're going to yes. we're going to have a Cape Grim Scotch fillet, and we're going to wash it down with a Yarra Yering Underhill Shiraz, and we're going to charge it all to the Underhills, and it's going to be fantastic. Fantastic! It's going to be one of the great golf days of all time. Alliston Golf Course, nineteen in the world. Really do yourselves a favour and look at the drone flyover of this golf course because mm-hmm. it is unbelievable and 100% a dreaming destination. Very good. Very good by you, Phil. I'm going to kick off here with uh, with my dreaming for this week. I'm taking us, boys, to Tehachuan Lakes Golf Club, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> now I believe it's been renamed Roeville Lakes Public Roeville Lakes, Golf Course. Yes. Yes, uh, in Roeville, just uh, off uh, near the corner of Stud and Wellington Road in Roeville. Sir Henry, uh, only- Sir Henry Tehachuan uh, threatened to sue <laughs> over the name. <laughs> it's a 5,456 metres from the back tees, Phil. So even you can get around here past 69, which is a great number in anyone's language. It's not long. It's a great way to get back into the game post-isolation. It's not going to be that tricky. It's a whole 35 bucks on a weekend or just 25 bucks for around midweek. For the 18 holes, what are we going to eat, Phil? We're going to eat a pie and sauce, maybe a snag <laughs> yes, roll. We we're going to drink a – we're going to go open the fridge and we're going to pull out a sarsaparilla or maybe even a creamy soda if we're feeling a little adventurous. And uh, seriously, I don't need a coastal a coastal location. Just let us bloody play. I need to get out and play, <laughs> <Yeah>. Phil. <laughs> to Hatch and Lakes, that'll do. I don't care. Good by you. I think this is oh. about giving it back to the people. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, History lesson, Phil. Let's let's wrap let's wrap things up. <laughs> I know, and you've got an absolute cork. We really we don't want to not do this. I don't want to do this a disservice, shall I say? Because I've got a note here of what it's about, and and this is a really cool story. So um, don't stuff it up. No, I, I look. I won't stuff it up, and it's a it is a great story. And 
One that really needs telling. And Dev, we were talking before about what an ideal documentary would be in golf. So initially, when I was researching this, I, I thought it was just, I was just going to call it the Groove Wars. And this is Ping or Carsten Solheim versus the USGA and the RNA. And I was going to kick it off with this line. A court is reached on new Groove Irons, New York Times, January 29th, 1990. But that was where the, the idea began. But then I got sent an outstanding book by a guy called Don Bradman. No, I'm joking about that. Uh, he might have referred <laughs> to him earlier. But and the putter, the book is and the putter went ping. And in reality, Carsten Solheim was was Legend. fighting battles with the USGA since 1967. And round one of Solheim versus USGA occurred in in 1967 when the USGA people were starting to putt really well using this croquet style of putting where they'd actually straddle mm. the line of the putt yeah. and have a bent putter and, and just swing it back and forward almost between their legs. Orville Moody, I think, was one of the proponents mm -hmm. of it. And anyway, the USGA said, no good, it's now banned. And so overnight, Carsten Solheim saw his business, his, his burgeoning putter business and, and iron business develop from a maybe to a no good overnight. But what made things worse is the USGA then threw in another little thing, and, this, and I'll need to explain it, but the club shafts, including those for putters, had to be straight from the top of the shaft to five inches above the bottom or above the club head or the sole of the club mm -hmm. head. Now, at the time, Ping, because Carsten Solheim, funnily enough, was an engineer and a bloody good one, he actually had the clubs that were bending, had putters that were bending just from the below the grip and then also down at, at the hosel, with the idea being is that the the middle of the grip was aligned with where you were going to be making contact with the ball, if you can sort of visualise that. So the grip, if you look at a straight line down through the grip, that gets to the middle of the club face. But that was outlawed as well. And so... They, they said it must be straight from the top. So he pleaded his case and he was talking about the fact that golf clubs forever, the wooden golf clubs, both with history and engineering, always had double bends. They're always some club mm -hmm. because wood warped. And like, anyway, no good, no good. So this was a, a putter at the time called a ballnamic putter. But the genius of Carsten Solheim says at the same time they banned the double bend, they allowed putter grips that had bends in them to uh, <laughs> be approved. So he just said, I'm just going to deliver the same result, but I'm going to do it with a putter grip instead of See, doing it with a bench. Don't take on an engineer, Phil. Don't take on an engineer. Don't mess with, now this <laughs> They're is smart cookies. I'll have you note at this point in time, the putter grip that Tiger Wood still uses to this day with the ping man on it is the putter grip that was developed by Carsten Solheim to deliver that result, whereby it's called a pistol grip. And if you think about the very top of the pistol grip that yeah. starts to bend around a little bit, Yep. That is the exact purpose of it, is to actually deliver what a double-bending shaft would have done and had done for 150, 200 years previously. Anyway, so he's gone back to the USGA with, in 1967, you know, saying, well, what about these six putters? Are they okay? Yes, got the USGA approval for those putters. At the same time, he realized, and this is what came out in the book, exactly how lucky he was. And I learned something about golf club technology, is that in 1967, there was a guy called Steve Biltz who had woods called the Centurions, and these were laminate woods, which is different different layer of woods all put together. What was unique about these woods, guys? Exactly, movable weight, movable weight. So in the back of the woods, you actually had an aluminium and a brass pin that ran the whole way through the wood, so you could actually adjust the weight of the wood by unscrewing these pins and screwing them back in. Does that sound familiar, R7? Wow. It does. Ooh. Unbelievable. 1967. <laughs> Philip, <laughs> Philip, legal's looking but, over. <laughs> but the USGA, the USGA, no, no, that's okay because it, it, the USGA banned that. And mm -hmm. so Carsten Solheim realised how lucky he was because Steve Biltz, his business was killed, whereas Carsten Solheim was able to manipulate his, manipulate his way out of it. Couldn't Biltz his business. USGA, 
1969, they allowed mover weights as long as they were fixed to be used in a golf club. So they'd killed this guy's business and then allowed the rule back in. So thank you very much for that. But Carsten was burnt forever. Do, 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 do. Fast forward to... 1987. So the USGA, 1985, the USGA allowed square grooves. Ah, is, yes. So if you think about the face, and we were talking about this before, Damon, the face of the, yes. the club and, and squared off at the top. So the USGA claimed that U-grooves, as they called them by ping, gave golfers an unfair advantage, and they tried to outlaw them, saying that ping's I-2, ping's famous I-2 irons, mm-hmm. their biggest selling iron potentially ever. Gave and you're a lover of them, as we saw in your gave recent review. Gave golfers an unfair advantage. Now, let me g- have a bit of a guess for me. How far too wide? Because they obviously already didn't like casting much. How far too wide do you think the grooves were on the face of the Ping I twos with the square grooves? I'm going to go with point two of a millimeter, five thousandth of an inch. So uh, half well- the width of a human hair. Too wide, but uh, unfair advantage. Oh, no, that's oh, it makes all the difference. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Carsten Solheim argued that the measurement was arbitrary, inconsistent, unreliable, and not a recognised standard of measurement. And how's this for a response? And I love this. It says, and this is from a letter that from Carsten Solheim. When I presented the US, US Bureau of Standards results to William Williams, president of the USGA, his reply was that the USGA did not recognise the US Bureau of Standards or any other measurement or government measurement agency. They, the USGA, had their own way of measuring. Furthermore, Mr Hannigan, who was the USGA Executive Director, has stated- Oh, Hannigan. Hang on. No entity other than the USGA measures the grooves on golf clubs. So now all of a sudden, they had used an engineering method for 40 years, which all of a sudden, no, nah, engineering, don't worry about engineering, who gives us stuff- we don't want the Ping I-2 irons because we think people are playing too well with them, so we're going to stop them. Anyway, so Carsten, as an engineer, he knew his stuff and away he went. As part of the settlement when the USGA conceded that, that Carsten Solheim was in fact correct, they had mm-hmm. to dis- uh, concede that the dispute was strictly of a technical nature and that there was no competitive advantage to a user of the clubs, which allowed the clubs still to be used in competition, which is why initially they were grandfathered to be at outlawed for 96. But in the US, they could be used in competition and still can tonight. Where it became interesting is the PGA Tour jumped on the court case. And so this is now fabulous feuds, Carsten versus PGA Tour, because I did forget to mention that he uh, did threaten to sue the USGA for $100 million, because he d- but he actually <laughs> didn't want any money. So when it was settled, Ping said, I don't want your money. I just want people to be able to use the best equipment that can help them play the best golf. I d- I'm not here to make money off you. Just let me sell my golf clubs. Yep. So anyway, USGA and then the PGA Tour. So Ping agreed from that point in time that they would adjust their grooves a little bit. PGA Tour, though, were holding firm until 1993 when they had to just back down because things were getting ugly and allow the clubs to be used until 2008 when Phil Mickelson, if you famously remember, Phil Mickelson with that Ping I2 lob wedge. Do you remember he played a few mm-hmm. events with the Ping I2 lob wedge? Yeah, yeah. I do. Well, that was really to prove a point, which Carsten Solheim had raised, that if they allow the square grooves to continue, that – they're allowed to keep using them, and then that was why they brought in the, the wedge groove ruling demo that you referred to when earlier. they changed it all, yep. But again, who else in sport have the rules had to be changed around? Will Chamberlain, Walter Matthias Morley Durant. Matthias Morley Durant. So you know you at the peak of your game when they actually have to change the rules just to keep people competing with you. Anyway, so at that time, Scott McCarran said, uh, suggested that Phil Mickelson was cheating by using the Ping I2 club. He later retracted that, and quite rightly, but it's now banned. What a despicable on, statement to make. Uh, pretty ordinary, but it's now banned on the PGA Tour. 
But what about outside? Because the RNA, even though the USGA was settled, the RNA dev, and this is the the turning point, the RNA said, no, no, we're going to hold our ground. We, we are not allowing these clubs. And from 1996, the clubs were banned for use outside North America. So if you were a Joe Punter member at a golf course in North America, you could keep using your ping I-2s. If you were a member in Australia, you couldn't. It's a kind of bifurcation, Phil. It, well, it certainly is a rule for one and a rule for the other. But my mate Carsten, <laughs> my mate Carsten, well, he's not my mate, Mr. Solheim, I should probably refer to him as. Bit of respect, the University of Nottingham in the UK to test clubs because the rule they felt was targeted specifically at Ping I-2. So we got them to test tailor-mades, McGregor's, Hogan's, Rams, and they're all found to be non-conforming, but they're allowed to get through because they weren't Ping I-2s. Anyway, option one, customers were given two options. They were given by Ping, which was really generous of them. They could purchase a set at a third the retail cost or they could send the clubs back to KMC for them to be precision pinned and touch ground to remove the five thousandth of an inch to make them legal. One of the great feuds of golf of all time, and it proves that engineering, we've got this this challenge of the USGA and the governing bodies trying mm-hmm. to protect the game. It's, and it's ongoing, isn't it? To make the game as easy as possible. Good but on, no good on, Mr. Than Carsten Solheim. Good on, Mr. Solheim for sticking his gut, uh, sticking sticking with it, and keep you know having a crack and not giving up on doing what he think is thinks was right for the players and or for the people that are actually playing the game. I mean, that takes yeah, some like, balls, Phil. Like, like us, and he continued to back it in. It wasn't for financial Good gain. On him. So we've actually got a copy demo of, and the putter went ping, to give away. Are we giving it away to me? Uh, we are not giving it away to you because it is Damn. not open to uh, members of the family, comp, you know, in terms of conditions. But what you need to do <laughs> to go into the draw to win a copy of And the Putter Went Ping to win one. is you need to send an email to swagger at golfbarons.com.au and you need to say what year Square Grooves were outlawed on the US PGA Tour. And that is swagger at golfbarons.com. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Yeah, <laughs> You'd no, be good if you knew the actual address. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go- swagger. You, you don't want to give this book oh, away, do you, Golfbarons.com. He's trying to keep two of them. <laughs> self-isolating apparently has merged into brain-isolating. Oh, jeez. And with the conclusion to Uncle Philbert's history lesson today, Tenuous Links Golf Podcast comes to a close. Special thanks to today's sponsor, Ping, one of the great game's great manufacturing families and a loyal supporter of Golf Barons. And be sure to check out our new golf show, Golf Barons Season 1. It remains the perfect way to procrastinate while stuck in self-isolation. And you just might learn something new and you'll have a few laughs along the way. Hop on over to baronslife.com to get your free access while it lasts, which won't be for much longer. Thanks again for listening, Barons. Stay safe.